<laughs> I just wanted a bloomin' onion. I can make you a bloomin' onion. No, you can't. I can. I have a bloomin' onion maker. But will you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can bring the maker. <laughs> you uh, can make your own bloomin' onion. <laughs> I can make you a bloomin' onion, but will but, you? No. Can you guys believe episode 18? Nope. Get off the phone! <laughs> Say hi. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> 8.30. We're recording. Alright, bye. Last week we talked about J.R.R. Tolkien. I love. And this week we're going to talk about his bestie. Well, his bestie for a while, and then they didn't like each other. But we'll get to that. We're going to talk about C.S. Lewis. Try to, anyway. We're going to try to, because we're obviously distracted. Yeah, we're obviously all just <laughs> air-headed tonight. Uh, yeah, it's the follow-up to last time's episode. Mm-hmm. It's the second part. And second part, There'll yes. be a third part. What so. would the third part be? I don't know. Uh, Josh is covering their friendship tonight. So. Maybe there will not be a third part. Yeah, I feel like the, the friendship... Between them, probably Is wouldn't sus- yeah, yeah, probably wouldn't sustain a whole episode. So I lied. <laughs> There's just going to be tonight. Yeah. <laughs> there is only tonight. This well, is... they, there could be a whole entire episode based on it, but I don't know how well it would. It yeah. wouldn't be a good one. <laughs> I don't know how well people be receptive. It to... would be a boring episode. I'm sorry. I'm going to start because okay. okay. Uh, well, I mean, because I'm talking about. The man himself, actually. The man. So. The man. The man. <laughs> the, the man. man. The myth. The legend. Might as well just go ahead and throw it out that this episode will contain a lot of talk about Christianity and mm-hmm. stuff. And if it offends you or you just don't want to hear it, I'm sorry. No, it's it's going to happen. You can't talk about this yeah. guy without talking about You can't about talk it. Yeah. about C.S. Lewis without talking some form of Christianity and atheism and stuff Ellie. like that. So, Yeah, because oh. he he was an atheist he for a while. He was an atheist for a while. <laughs> Do the thing. Lewis was born on November 29th, 1898 in Belfast, Ireland. And a lot of people think that he's an English guy, and they're wrong. So, he's Irish. There you go. Oh, I actually address that. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So, I didn't even write it down, but CS stands for Clive Staples, just so you know. I didn't even write that down. Uh, He died November 22nd, 1963. You know what else happened on that day? November 22nd, 1963. Don't say anything, because you know. You're cheating. Oh. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) So, he was a scholar, novelist, and wrote about 40 books. I didn't realize that he wrote that much stuff, but he did, so... Uh, he was an extremely educated guy, and education was always important to him. So his father's name was Albert, and he was a solicitor, and his mom's name was Florence. But what was kind of cool about Florence is that she graduated from the Royal University of Ireland at a time period in which it was not a common thing for women to earn degrees, but she did it. Uh, he had an older brother named Warren, who they called Warney. 
and they both loved to read. Their mother taught them. Um, she homeschooled them. Um, very educated lady. So he was reading on his own by the age of three, which is impressive. And by the age of five, he was writing stories. Um, his favorite author was Beatrix Potter, like the tales of Peter Rabbit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so at age five, he was writing uh, stories about this fantasy land where the animals, there were animals that wore clothes and like talked. So you can see that that one of his uh, later in life. One of his favorite books was uh, Squirrel Nutkin, The Adventures of Squirrel Nutkin. <laughs> Squirrel Nutkin. Squirrel Nutkin. Uh, him. Well, I talked about his brother. So they were homeschooled for the earlier part of their education, and then he went to a school, a boarding school in England. Um, the first one that he attended was called Winyard School in Watford, just outside of London. And honestly, this school was almost his undoing as um, an educated person or as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had like the worst headmaster ever. He was like this very authoritarian, brutal man. And he was like quite literally going insane. Um, his name was Robert Capron. And the boys just called him Oldie. Their father, Albert, so uh, the Lewis brothers, their father, Albert, was was responsible for selecting him as the headmaster of the school, and it was a mistake. So the students of the school and even his own wife and kids were, like, terrified of him. He was this big burly man, and he would, like, beat the kids and turn a blind eye from bullying. So, like, all of the older mm-hmm. kids started tormenting the young ones, and... Uh, C.S., I really, you know, he calls himself Jack. That's what he wanted to be called. So mm-hmm. we'll just call him Jack. So Jack would write his father and beg him to be released from what he would call prison, which was this school. And um, eventually, when he referred to it later in life, he'd call this place Belson after the concentration camp. That's how strongly he felt about it. Hmm. So eventually the headmaster, um, like, beat the snot out of this kid, was charged with brutality and put in the insane asylum where he died. Uh, So, yeah, there was a dentist's son, and he was made to bend over while this big burly man would take a run-and-go from the other side of the room and then smack him with a cane. And that was, like, the breaking point, what got him fired and thrown in the insane asylum. Mm. So... Uh, from there, he went to uh, da, 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 da. he went to Campbell College in Belfast, Cherbourg House in Malvern, then Malvern College. But he goes back and describes his earlier schooling life and says that if he hadn't have left um, Winyard, that he doesn't know what would have happened because it led to a great decline in his imaginative life. So was really really bad he served with france in the somerset lot infantry no he served a lot he served in france with the somerset lot infantry in world war one and then he started studying at oxford when he returned did super super well uh he took double majors in like greek and latin texts and then classic history and philosophy and then he stayed on some more and did English language and literature. And he, he was so smart that he completed this three-year course in one year. So hmm. he was like a genius guy. Mm-hmm. 
He worked for Magdalen College, 1924 to 1954, and then moved on to be the professor of medieval and Renaissance English at Cambridge from 54 to 63, and that's where he retired from. Uh, something I didn't know, he, lear- he loved to write, even at an early age, but he really wanted to be a poet. So he published his first works ever, which were two collections of verses. Uh, the first one, Spirits in Bondage, in 1919, and then uh, Dimer in 1926, which was like a long narrative poem. And they're not very well known, but for one thing, he published them under a different name. Mm-hmm. He published them under Clive Hamilton. So they didn't attract a whole lot of attention, so then he turned to scholarly writing and fiction and stuff. Uh, he published The Pilgrim's Recess, an allegorical apology for Christianity, reason, and romanticism in 1933. And in this, he recounts his early life and his acceptance of faith as an adult, and he talks about his bestie, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lewis is known for his theological work and for the Chronicles of Narnia and the screw tape letters, things like that. A lot of people don't know that he wrote science fiction. You want to say anything about that? Um, other than the fact I've got him sitting in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Out of the Silent Planet was published in 1938. Yeah. And then its sequel, Perlandra, in 43. And the last one in the trilogy, That Hideous Strength, hideous. in 1945. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the earliest and best sci-fi trilogies. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, that that was one of the things I was talking about because that I want to talk about because it's um, the his science fiction work was as a result his relationship with Tolkien and uh, uh, when he started becoming good friends with Tolkien uh, that they formed the Inklings mm-hmm. and uh, it was during this time that him and Tolkien was talking about their Christian faith and all this stuff and uh, Tolkien and uh, Lewis wanted to write about their faith, but they didn't know quite how to. And so they would write these stories and put religious allegories in these stories. And that is how uh, the first of his science fiction trilogy yeah, come about. Yeah, it is just one, one, it is one big, big ball of allegory. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. one big ball of allegory. And as think, is Narnia. Yeah, so, as is Narnia. Definitely. And is Lord of the Rings. And as the, is Lord of the Rings, yeah. yeah. The Hobbit probably really is not the... Probably the only one that really was wrote you without can, this intention in mind. But yeah. it, you can tell the influence that Tolkien had on his life. I mean, throughout everything that he wrote. But this this is the story of Elwyn Ransom, this trilogy, mm-hmm. who is an English, uh, he's a linguist and a philologist. And his, his best friend was... Yeah. A linguist and a, a philologist. Yep. <laughs> and it's like about the struggle of good and evil, that sort of deal. Yep. So I've not read them, but his I really hideous, like reading about them. Yeah. I need to. His hideous strength was all is basically amazing. Lewis's interpretation of Revelations. Yeah. Of Revelations. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so like the last battle. <laughs> the la- the yeah. last, See, there the you last go. battle there is the go. interpretation yeah, of, of Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. His first actual scholarly work that was published was The Allegory of Love, a study in medieval tradition in 1936. And then he wrote a preface to Paradise Lost in 1942, which I didn't know. And I like I like Paradise Lost. I like Paradise Did Lost. they meet, like, does it say when they met, or is it in World War One? 
He's he's got notes. Josh knows the answer. Yeah. <laughs> they met, they met. Uh, like Tessa said, Lewis was a professor at Magdalen College, and Tolkien was a professor at Oxford, and uh, basically they started corresponding with each other, mm-hmm. and uh, they would answer each other's letters and whatnot and all that stuff. Finally, they decided to meet. Okay, um, was this post-war? No, or this, pre-war? Was, this was post-war. This okay, was way cool. this was way after the war, um, because um, September nineteen thirty-one. Okay, uh, is when they finally decided to meet in Lewis's uh, uh, college room, and they would have debates in front of the classes and stuff, the Tolkien's classes and Lewis's. Can you imagine? And stuff and, uh, That'd be amazing, <laughs> amazing. So in 1940, sorry, I, I said Oxford, my bad, but it was Pembroke College. Pembroke that Tolkien was studying at, or was a professor at. He was a professor of Anglo-Saxon at Pembroke College, and Lewis was an English language and literature mm-hmm. teacher at Oxford, Magdalen College. In 1940. Uh, Lewis went on to BBC Radio and did a four-part series called The Problem of Pain. And it became, like, pretty crazy popular. And then it was compiled into uh, Mere Christianity, which is one of his more famous theological works. And then after that, The Screwtape Letters came out in 1942. Have you ever read The Screwtape Letters? Uh, no. The Screwtape Letters are... The way that it's written, it's 31 letters... And there's like this elderly, very experienced devil named Screwtape. Mm-hmm. And he has an apprentice named Wormwood. And he's like instructing him in the art of tempting Christians. Mm. So that's that. Mm-hmm. So then in 1950 came The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh-huh. Yep. Which is the second part of the story, but it was written first. Actually, a lot of them were. You're going to get there. Third part of the story. Yeah. So. Third part of the story. Third part of the story. Yeah. In 1950 came The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia followed, and then um, one of his last works, Till We Have Faces, A Myth Retold, which retells the story of Cupid and Saki from the viewpoint of one of her sisters. That actually is, I think, his last published work. So, um, he fell in love late in, like later in life. He didn't get married until he was in his 50s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And her name was Joy Davidman Gresham. She was American. And she read a bunch of his works, converted to Christianity because of them. Mm -hmm. And then she started writing him letters. They met through correspondence and stuff. And she was still, she was married to a writer at the time, William Gresham. Um, But then he was unfaithful and they divorced in 1954. She moved to England. Uh, She and Lewis were secretly like, they did a civil marriage in 56, mm-hmm. which gave her legal rights to remain in England. And then six months later, she was diagnosed with cancer. So they married for real in 1957, a year later, and her cancer like miraculously went into remission. They had a couple of really good years and then it returned and it came on fast and she passed away in 1960. And so after that happened, he published um, a grief observed under the name N.W. Clerk. And his grief process was, like, so profound when he when he wrote this. All of his friends were coming up and telling him, you need to read this book. 
about grief and turns out that he secretly was the one that published it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh their story was fictionalized in Shadowlands, nineteen eighty five made for T V movie, which was later revised for the stage and then into a film with Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger, which mm-hmm. I didn't know was a I thing. His last book, Letters to Malcolm, was written in 1963, and I I guess it was published posthumously. Um, When he retired from Cambridge, so it was like around the same time, and he died shortly after of kidney failure on November 23rd, 1963, the same day as the assassination of of John F. Kennedy. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That Shadowlands, if I'm not mistaken, when that was on Sci-Fi, they showed that on Sci-Fi Channel. I don't know for the longest of time, but I think that's what made Anthony Hopkins famous. Was was portraying that? Yeah, I think that's what put Anthony Hopkins on the on the map. So there's a down and dirty for you. Yeah, about C.S. Lewis's life. You know, before listening to you all talk about C.S. Lewis, the only thing that I knew about him was he wrote *Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe*. Well, I mean, that's what that's what everybody thinks. I mean, some way a lot of people only know about the yeah, *Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe*. Yeah, well, I didn't know <laughs> nothing about a science fiction novels until Tessa was cleaning out the library one day, and she brought. She was like, "Look yeah, what I found!" Somebody and I was donated like, them, and I was like, "Huh." <laughs> yeah, but um. Well, Tolkien's the same way. People's like, oh, he's the guy that wrote the Lord of the Rings. He, yeah, but yeah. he was so much more than that. And, yeah. You know, he's, he's so much more than that. Created the world, and so did yeah. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both men created the world. What's What's cool, though, is that um, Tolkien's world came out of his studies and out of intrigue. C.S. Lewis's world came out of escape from reality. That, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I was getting ready to say, because uh, what I've been reading here and what, you know, last time we did, I, I mentioned the book A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what they said in this book. Yeah. Was that basically Narnia come out of World War One? I. I mean, just like Middle Earth, but... Nope. Narnia... Uh, Came from uh, a drawing. Well, I meant like <laughs> his inspiration for Narnia come. Oh from, yeah, yeah. Because from Beatrix Potter. Yeah, a lot uh, of it. Because Tolkien. Well, uh, sorry, Lewis. It, it's when you when we spoke that he was from Belfast, Ireland, uh-huh. and he moved to Britain, or he moved to France. Mm-hmm. There, when World War One broke out, there was no sense of uh, king of country to him. Because Ireland and the British, the British and all that stuff, you know, were foes with each other. You yeah. know, you know, Britain's always been trying to control Ireland, and they still mm-hmm. are. And uh, and so when this Irish boy moved to France, there was no sense of king and country like there was yeah. for a, for a Tolkien. You know, when when the war broke out, Tolkien was like, "I'm doing it." Yeah, Lewis fought it tooth and nail. He was like, "I'm not going to do it. I'm yeah. not going to do it." When they finally annexed Ireland into Britain. You know, he was like, well, if it, I yep. might as well do it. Yep. You know, everybody else is doing it. I might as well do it. Yep. And, you know, that, that he was quoted as saying when he saw the bleak and sorrows of World War One, he always dreamed of a um, a green pastures and, and waters that flowed and stuff like that. And that's when the, the Northlands. Yeah, that's when Narnia was. Yeah coming to be in his brains. One of the most profound things that he ever said was one day you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. Yeah. 
Yeah. His inspiration, actually, well, his, the greatest, let's see, what was that book called? That mean you couldn't pronounce earlier? Oh, yeah. Uh, that we had trouble pronouncing. Hey, oh, well, I'll find it later. <laughs> uh, but basically, um, you know, even, even throughout the war, he, he never saw it as a sense of pride to yeah. fight in war. He was doing it just because he had to do it. Um, but let's see, and that—that's what drove his religious beliefs, mm-hmm. because he saw all this grim reality, and he basically was just like, "There is no God. There, there can never be no God." Yeah. And thanks to the scientific movements and stuff like that that was going on with Freud and the advancements of psychology. And we talked about um, eugenics during the token episode and stuff like that. So he really was an atheist for a part of his life until he until he started getting older. And um, he was quoted saying that, that uh, this, was, this was in 1925 when he started... Uh, you know, basically, we say that you grow out of it, or you grow up, and so basically, he grew up. And uh, in 1925, he cast off all that stern atheism of his younger days, mm-hmm. and he was quoted saying that, "Now that I have found, and I'm still finding more and more elements of truth in the old beliefs, I feel I cannot dismiss even the dreadful side to uh, chivalry." He wrote to Arthur Greaves, who was one of his close friends that he got to meeting, and uh, he said that there must be something in it. Only what? And it was this question that was first proposed to J.R.R. Tolkien, and that's what got Tolkien interested in C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And so, uh, the meeting between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien in September 1931 is, in English literature, considered one of the most uh, transformative conversations of the 21st century, or the 20th century. Uh, Lewis was a tutor of English literature, in Oxford Magdalen College, and uh, Tolkien was a uh, professor of Anglo-Saxon at, Prembro- at Pembroke College. Tolkien started a club among among the uh, uh, among amongst them, um, and Lewis joined in, and it was called the Coalbiters, from uh, the Icelandic term meaning uh, men who lounge so close to fire in winter they bite the coal. Yeah. So this was the original group that was started, and. Uh, through this, they, they realized that they uh, shared a love for the different literatures and stuff, myth-making. And uh, both of the men's uh, views on mythology uh, kind of varied. I guess their philosophies varied, I guess, if you want to say it. To Lewis, myths uh, were beautiful. They might charm or uh, charm the imagination, but they were lies. Inventions that contained no objective truth about the world. Uh, and that's what troubled Lewis about Christianity. Yeah. But to Tolkien, it was all about the myth-making. And uh, Tolkien was uh, was termed uh, as a mythopia. Yeah. Meaning it, it was... Uh, uh, he was a myth-maker. You know, that's mm-hmm. what Tolkien did, was myth-making. Um, but to Tolkien, myth-making was called the term mythopia, and, and it was a way of fulfilling God's purpose. So Tolkien was actually the inspiration in C.S. Lewis. This is where C.S. Lewis' inspiration come from of mm-hmm. writing Narnia and putting all the 
religious allegories and, and stuff. And likewise, yeah. Lewis, when he when he finally was converted to Christianity, uh, was Tolkien's inspiration. <laughs> what? You need to wear shirts if I'm going to record nope. you. <laughs> <laughs> just get oh, your God. head. Yeah, just get the head. It's impossible to do. Um, why is it so big? Anyway. <laughs> that is a macro lens. Yeah. It's a wide lens. Yeah. If you can't fit your head in that, something's wrong. Hush, Jordan. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, I, but after their most famous meeting, they, uh, um, Lewis spent the rest of his life devoted to uh, explaining co- uh, Christianity. Yeah. To an uncomprehending world. In both the screw tape letters, uh, the Great Divorce, and Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then, and then later on in life, Lewis and uh, Tolkien created the Inklings, uh, those who dabble in ink. <laughs> it was a small group of writers, nearly all of them serious Christians, who met weekly in Lewis's room at Magdalen. They get they gathered to read aloud and critique each other's work. Uh, theoretically to talk about literature uh, but in fact it was always uh, to talk about something better and it was about their Christian works and stuff like that and out of this result come the silent planet um, and if it weren't for Tolkien the silent planet would have never been published because mm-hmm. uh, the publishers basically was reading it and didn't think it was born but Tolkien was like it was. it's one of the most fascinating works that I've read so far uh, and likewise, uh, Tolkien began work on The Hobbit, and uh, I thought it was pretty cool reading this biography type thing here that Lewis was the first one to read the transcripts of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Lewis, The Lord of the Rings probably wouldn't have ever been published because Tolkien was entering the, entering a phase in his life where he just slowed down on everything, and Lewis was the real driving force behind it. The motivator. Yep. Yeah. So. How did C.S. Lewis die? Uh, kidney failure. Kidney failure. Oh, okay. Because I was just like Googling stuff about him. And like I've seen a conspiracy theory that the Roman church, Catholic church killed him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. I got, I got, I got well, like, I mean. I got sucked into that. And, I was like, what? He and Tolkien kind of had a falling out because of differences. Differences, yeah. yeah. Tolkien was a devout Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, I just, it's, it's C.S. Lewis conspiracy theory, and it said the Roman Catholic Church had him murdered. I, I, I was just a, wanting to cause the I death. I love a good conspiracy to, theory. Because, I, I mean. I could talk to you about Shakespeare conspiracy theories forever. Oh. I'm going to do more research on that. I want to know, like, details. A big, a big theme in both of their stories is free will. Yeah. Uh, that was one thing that they wanted to express the most. Mm-hmm. One of the big things right here that the author of this book states is that when Tolkien and Lewis's work started to become really big, critics sometimes accused the authors of creating black and white characters to personify their religious beliefs. But the careful reader sees something else entirely. Individuals often at war with their own desires. Hmm. 
The heroes of these stories are vulnerable to temptation and corruption, while the antagonists are almost never beyond redemption. Looking at you, Edmund Pavinci. <laughs> Here in fantasy myth, no one escapes the long and harassing shadow of the biblical fall. So, which is a driving force behind both men's work. Mm-hmm. I wrote down some of my favorite, like three of my favorite quotes. Do you want them now or do you want them after you talk? Uh, Go for it. Uh, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. I love that. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Preach. Hmm. Uh, you can never get a cup of tea large enough or a book long enough to suit me. And then my <laughs> favorite, one of my favorite Narnia quotes, which there's many. And I didn't even pull out some of the like religious allegorical stuff because I love all that stuff. English major. But one of my favorites, <laughs> girls aren't very good at keeping maps in their brains, said Edmund. That's because we've got something in them, replied Lucy. Oh, yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> that the Dawn Trader? That would probably be Caspian. It's Caspian or Dawn Trader? It's Caspian. Caspian. It's Caspian, because it's when they're looking for the stone table. Tell us about things, Tyrell. I'm going to tell you about some things. Tell us about some interesting things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I'm going to talk about Narnia itself and the books. Um, Narnia. For Narnia. <laughs> so, the, inspir- like, the idea of Narnia actually stirred in C.S. Lewis when he was 16, Started with a picture of a fawn in the snow near a lamppost and a bunch of parcels. <laughs> and incidentally, that's uh, the first scene that takes place in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe <laughs> and, inside of Narnia. And Tumnus was born. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Tumnus was actually the very first character created for the Chronicles of Narnia. Um... He he actually began working on the idea of Chronicles of Narnia in 1939. He was 16 when the original concept was conceived, and he was 40 when he actually started working on everything. Oh. So, yeah, 24 years spanned in the time that uh, that he actually began writing about it. Um, He didn't finish the first book until 1949 and then he finished the last book which uh, it wasn't the last one to be published but it was the last one to be written which was the, magi- uh, the magician's nephew in 1954 I actually have a quote from Lewis about uh, the origin so the line all began with a picture of a fawn carrying an umbrella and parcels in a snowy wood I love that. This picture had been in my mind since I was about 16. Then one day when I was about 40, I said to myself, let's try to make a story about it. (laughs) I love that. I just can't help thinking about that episode of Family Guy when Peter loses his socks in the dryer and he jumps into the dryer. (laughs) And Mr. Thomas has it around his sword. He's like, give me back my sock, you goat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) He chases him through Narnia. Um, talking about, uh, about Aslan, C.S. Lewis said, at first I had very little idea how the story would actually go, but then suddenly Aslan came bounding into it. 
think I'd been having a good many dreams of lines about that time. Funnily enough, uh, in The Horse and His Boy, within the first few pages of it, Shasta actually has a dream about a line. <laughs> I've not read that one in forever. Man, I read all of them again this last week. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good. It's cool. Like what we was talking about earlier beforehand, like Gandalf and Aslan yeah. are one and the same. <laughs> Uh, said, apart from that, I don't know where the line came from or why he came. But once he was there, he pulled the whole story together, and soon he pulled the six other Narnian stories in after him. So, you know, uh, everything was built central to Aslan. And then, you know, with the biblical background and everything, that uh, kind of pulled everything together in a very allegorical way. (laughs) Have you read them? Did we talk about this? Mm-hmm. Have you read them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read them. A long time ago, but I read them. Uh, They're so good. That's probably the only full series of books that I've actually read. You've not read Harry Potter? Mm-mm. Watch the movies, though. That counts. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> It, They're good in their own way. That is one series I can actually say that that does not. If count. we ever do a yeah. podcast about that, <laughs> yeah, it'd be bad news for everybody. You could also say the same about the oh yeah, these about the Chronicles of Narnia yeah. movies. For for everybody listening, if you've only ever watched the movies, please read the books. It, <laughs> and it don't take long to read you the books. You are at missing all. out. No, they're really not. Like you could. Burn through the whole series in a couple days. Yeah, I think Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe is probably the longest one of them, ain't it? Yeah. Or something, yeah. Uh, Maybe Last Battle. Maybe Last Battle, yeah. Last Battle and... Oh, uh, I'll tell you. I got him. Silver Chair. Oh, you I left him in yeah, there. Yeah, I left him in there. After I, told I think him. it literally the Magician's Nephew, it took me like two days to read. Magician's Nephew is like, it's probably the shortest one, I think. Yeah. It's, pro- it's probably my favorite one. <laughs> I love that one. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. You see the origins yeah, of the witch. Yeah, the lamppost and the wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Queen Jadis. Queen yep. Jadis. <laughs> um, let's see. I've lost my spot. And and why and why the witch and wardrobe? You know, if you only watch the movie, the, the guy that they... I forgot his name that the children go to. What now? The old guy that they go to. Professor Kirk. Diggory Kirk. Yeah, Diggory yes. Kirk. Diggory Kirk. Why in the movie, he's when they come back and they tell him that he's they, they've been in Narnia, he's like, huh. <laughs> what a coincidence. What a coincidence. So have I. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I was there when it was created. <laughs> I was there when that wardrobe was put together. <laughs> I have a trouble remembering the, uh, the other characters in Magician's Nephew. I can't remember. I can't remember their names. Uh, Do you remember what was? Who you? What do you mean? Oh, uh, Uncle Andrew. Yeah, that's who it was. I I knew it was his relatives, but I couldn't remember Uncle Andrew. Uncle Andrew. And 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 he had the and Polly, and he had the rings. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was about to say Jill. That's not Jill. Is no, uh, Jill's uh, uh, the silver chair? Yeah. And cool. the last battle. Cool man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Oh, oh. There's sounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll do like a little bit of overview of each one in you know kind of the order that they were written. 
Um, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, like I said, was the first one to be published. It was published in 1950, and it tells the story of four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy Pavinci. Um, They're evacuated to the countryside from their home in London during World War II. Uh, they move in with Professor Diggory Kirk. Where uh, one day while playing in the house, they discover a wardrobe. Lucy discovers it at first and uh, stumbles into the world of Narnia where she meets a fawn. <laughs> Everybody else, uh, she comes, well, no, she comes back first mm-hmm. and then tells everybody about it. Nobody believes her. Edmund makes fun of her. Because Edmund's a jerk. Yeah, Edmund was a, he's uh, something else. <laughs> I mean, he gets better, but still. Yeah. Uh, when it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> gets the lion killed. <laughs> Summer's the ultimate evil. Gotta die. Somebody's gotta <laughs> die. <laughs> but, uh,. Yeah, they they discover Narnia, and I won't go into all the details of it for those that haven't read it. But eventually, these four kids become the kings and queens of Narnia. Mm-hmm. They're the legendary kings and queens of Narnia. <laughs> the kings and queens of old. Yep. Um, and that legacy establishes the storyline for the next two books. Um and that's Prince Caspian and Dom Treader, right? Yes. It's well no, it's um Horse and his boy and then it's Prince Caspian. Horse and his boy because they're it's uh, the golden yeah. age in the storyline is the golden age. Yeah, it takes place They're still ruling there, but it, the horse and his boy doesn't focus on them. Right. Yeah. Like the like the other two. Yeah, like. At a certain point, the Pavinci's actually end up coming back from Narnia after they've already lived a whole life there. Basically, yeah. they were like what in their. I think Peter was like in his forties yeah. when they came back. Yeah, they were old. Yeah, but you know he comes back and they come back and they're kids again. So like they've lived an entire lifetime, but they're back in, and they're back as children. Yeah. Um, eventually, they are brought back by the power of Susan Pavinci's horn, which Prince Caspian blew, to summon them in uh, Narnia's hour of need. And as attractive as Ben Barnes is, and as Caspian in that in that movie, he's a little kid in the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe not a I little kid, he's... but he's like. Twelve. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. He's like twelve, thirteen, something like that. <laughs> they released the movie, and I was like, "Dang, yeah. what happened?" <laughs> I was like, "He's he looks a little older than what he's supposed to be." <laughs> totally fine with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they uh, Narnia, as they knew it, is not there anymore. Uh, Thirteen hundred years had passed since uh, they left Narnia. Uh, Vale was in ruins um, and all the Narnians had uh, hidden themselves uh, or had uh, retreated so far away that only Aslan's magic could uh, wake yeah. them. 
and Caspian had uh, fled the woods to escape his uncle Miraz. Because they, they, they was talking about in this book, too, that, that that's the parallel between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis because of their love for nature. Yeah. And how <laughs> in Tolkien's world, the ants had fallen all fallen asleep. Yeah. And in Durham Prince Caspian, all the trees and stuff had fallen yeah. asleep, too. And... The scene where all the trees and everything wake up in Caspian is amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um. Then yeah, Miraz had usurped uh, Prince Caspian's throne, and the the Pavensis once again go to save Narnia. Just kid kind of in, which they thoroughly did. <laughs> yeah. Then um, they end up leaving Narnia again, but uh, Aslan has told them that uh, this would be Peter and Susan's last time. Like, they wouldn't be able to return to Narnia. What was it he says? I can't remember for sure. It's just, not really, they lose faith. Not really, because they're losing faith. It's just... It's not that they're losing faith. It's you put me on the spot. It's just because they're getting older. They're getting right? yeah, it's, it's just it's like some magic, magic just And loses. then Susan's like, we're not even sad about the fact that we won't be here. We're sad that we won't get to see you. And he's like, I'm yeah. in your world too. You just know me by a different name. Yeah. And that just gave me chills. Yeah. <laughs> my hair stood up on my arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you have Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Reaper Cheap! <laughs> the introduction of... Well, no, Reaper Cheap's there all the time. In, yeah. He was in Caspian. Yeah. Yeah, he's in, Ca- yeah, he's yeah, in Caspian. Yeah, he's in Caspian. Uh, but he, he takes center stage. Oh. Oh, man. And then he dies. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't die. He's he like die. he's he like El- he's like Elijah. Yeah. He just gets drawn up into heaven. He gets, uh, goes to the true. There's yeah, biblical parallel. Yeah, there was no chariot of uh, there was no chariot that came down. It was like a a boat, but still past uh, the end of the ocean. <laughs> yep. Um, but the voyage of the Dawn Treader has. Edmund and Lucy return, but uh, they also have their cousin Eustace, who is, uh, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Eustace sucks. I was going to call him a jerk, but you, yeah, that also Eustace works. sucks. <laughs> At least for a while. For a little bit, for this for this particular book, but then he gets better. Yeah, then he gets better. <laughs> um, and this, uh, when they return this time, it's only three years after the last time that they were there, where they actually end up in the ocean <laughs> and they're brought aboard the Dawn Trader Prince mm-hmm. Caspian's ship uh, where he is uh, searching for the seven lords who were banished by Miraz. They were his father's lords. Yeah. Um, they, like this, it's one of my more personally favorite books because they travel to all these different islands and everything. I love see, it too. All these different cultures and like these the, uh, crazy worlds. What are the, the, <laughs> the creatures with the one leg? Oh, um, and they jump. Yeah, and they're, they're invisible. <laughs> I'm gonna look God. it up. It's okay. <laughs> I can't think of what they're called. Continue. I'll tell you. <laughs> then those, you know, those are the. The first three books that focus ab- around the uh, the Pavinces. But then followed four more. Uh, Silver Chair, Horse and His Boy, Magician's Nephew, and then The Last Battle. 
uh, Silver Chair is uh, Aslan. Aslan himself actually calls Eustace and his classmate Jill uh, into Narnia uh, to search for Prince Caspian's son. Dufflepuds. Huh? Dufflepuds. Dufflepuds. <laughs> Hufflepuff. <laughs> that was, I could not think of them to save my life. I couldn't either. Dufflepuds. Uh, Jill and Eustace travel to find Rillian, who they find out. Uh, uh, no, I'm, that's a, that's spoilers. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Basically, they travel to um, marshlands and the lands of the giants in search of Rillian. They meet a... Uh, uh, what what a marshwiggle, a marshwiggle named, named Puddleglum, Puddleglum, <laughs> who uh, helps them. Can we name our next dog that Puddleglum? <laughs> our next rat, <laughs> Puddleglum. <laughs> and then we come to my favorite book, The Horse and His Boy, <laughs> which sees a slave boy. Who had uh, mysteriously washed up in the land of Kellerman, which is south of Narnia. Which is not at all a parallel to Moses washing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turns out that uh, that uh, Shasta is actually a Narnian. Um, while in Kellerman, a, uh, a Tarkin, a nobleman of Kellerman comes to his uh, his master's hut, and uh, there he meets Bree, a talking horse. Turns out Bree's from Narnia and wants to get back there. Yep. And so sets uh, gigantic uh, cluster of events. <laughs> the horse and his boy sets up basically the end of the the end of Narnia. <laughs> yep. Uh. By and by the war between Kellerman and Narnia. Then you have the magician's nephew, which is uh, the creation story of Narnia. God, it's a wild one. It's a wild one. It's, <laughs> it's my a favorite. Wild one. one of my, <laughs> it's my favorite. Basically, Diggory Kirk, professor from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and his friend Polly, they find these magic rings that uh, Diggory's uncle has. And, uh... Seven rings? Huh? Seven rings? How many was there? It's all about rings. How many rings was there? There were seven. one to go and one to come back. Mm-hmm. Through gold and green, or yellow and green. I remember that. There's four rings, yeah. There's two green and two go uh, and two yellow. They go to all these... They Well, they end up in a forest that's full of puddles. And each puddle that they jump into takes them to a different world. Eventually, they find a dying world... Where they find uh, the sole survivor, Queen Jadis. Queen Jadis. Or uh, I'm not almost. They ring a bell and bad things happen. Yeah, they ring. They ring the bell. That, that that's right. I forgot about the puddles because in one yeah. of the puddles that she reaches through and grabs the light post and jerks it. Yeah, yes. that's, that's how Narnia yes. came, yeah. comes into being. God, yeah, because I've seen her racking my brain how the light. And post then there's the yeah. Yeah. yes, that, and then there's a yeah. Yeah, and because I'm, eventually yeah, she... that, that forest is actually you know the forest that they stumble yeah. into in *Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe*. It's just that uh, Aslan gets rid of all the puddles, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and she comes to our world, and then she takes the lamppost. But yeah. then there's a cabbie and his wife, and yep. <laughs> 
It's a very, very interesting book. It is a very good book. It's like, even though it, you know, kind of mimics a creation story, it's a very good creation story. Yeah, it's different. It's a lot different. You know, like Tolkien, everything was sung in existence, and you had this mythology of creatures. And then (laughs) Lewis is like, no, I'm going to simplify it. (laughs) It's interesting how you have, basically, you have, well, the... Antichrist basically coming in, yeah. uh, coming into ex- existence, yeah, and the world of Narnia being made out of necessity, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never looked at it like that, but yeah. yeah, it's it's true. <laughs> and then you have the final book that was published, the Last Battle. Um, this is um, the Last Battle is the end of Narnia. Uh, Jill and Eustace return. To save Narnia from shift and puzzle. <laughs> Poor puzzle. He Poor puzzle. Puzzle's a victim. Yeah. <laughs> and then on all the children come back together. He's a donkey. Yeah. He was a wonky donkey. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, shift tricks puzzle into uh, being false prophet. Basically, tricks him into disguising as Aslan and telling everybody what to do. Uh, uh, then that actually ends up leading to the the final showdown between the Nardians and the Kellermans. Uh, leads to the end of Narnia, at which everybody goes to the true Narnia at Everybody's the end. Dead. Like I'm reimagining the uh, the end of the last battle in my head right now. And, like, just reading that book, that paints a picture like no other. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and the Pevensies are there, and they're on a train, mm-hmm. and they're like, we're going to go visit our friend Professor Kirk. And then they're like, oh, did you feel that funny shifting? Hello, we're in Narnia. And then they're like, we're dead. The train wrecked. Yeah, basically. Except for Susan, because she's a whore. Yeah, because she sucks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But like one of my favorite quotes from that is they they come to the stable, you know. Yeah. The the barn. It's tiny on the outside mm-hmm. and it's big on the inside. Yeah. And it does, I read to children and it doesn't make any sense and they're like, "What's going on? How how is this so big on the inside?" And Lucy is so wise beyond her years anyway. Yeah. She's like, "Something once came out of a stable in our world that was bigger than the entire world." Allegory. <laughs> we told you. <laughs> I have learned so much. Yeah. If you've not read the books, read the books. Yeah. <laughs> Love books. Yeah, man. I'm at church. It's so much. Oh, my it's, God. It's a world, man. I'm at it. I'm a Liam Neeson fan, <laughs> and I think that was probably his greatest role, <laughs> even though he was a CG line. Yeah, that's fine. He's but <laughs> he he, d- he plays Aslan. He very plays well. Aslan very well. <laughs> I want to read fan fiction now. I, I think I, I remember watching a video they talked about making that, and like they actually brought a real line onto yeah. the set. They did just to get mm-hmm. the kids acclimated to being around the line and how how they would. Yeah, it was he, for the for the introduction scenes and everything. Yeah, for the did. introduction yeah. scenes and didn't like 
inst- you know, like for a lot of things, they you act to a ping pong ball or whatever. Yeah. They brought like in a plushed lion. Yeah, they brought a plush lion. Just talk to Aslan. Yeah. You've seen that SNL skit of uh, Tyrion and the dragons? No. <laughs> you have Tyrion standing there, and you have a guy in a dragon suit with a, like a dragon head on a stick on his head. <laughs> and he's sitting there with his wings, and he's just going... <laughs> <laughs> Did we talk about that last week's or last time's episode? Because like literally, there there was they was talking about um, Gandalf, and yeah. his name escaped me for the world of it just then. Who played Gandalf? Sirian McKellen. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and uh, he would he basically almost got up and walked off the set of The Hobbit. Because yeah. everything will CG. Yeah, we uh, yeah we talked about that. Yeah, that's like he he says that that's like one of his darkest moments yeah, as an actor. Well, yeah, and he started crying he on set. Broke down yeah. like when they're when they're filming the uh, the part where all the doors where all they're on the set at yeah. uh, Bilbo, uh, Bilbo's house, and it was just ping pong balls. Yeah, they were just he's he's sitting there at the table and he breaks down crying. Yeah. He's like, this isn't why I became an actor. Yeah, this is not how I was taught He's to like, act. That's one of the saddest things yeah. ever. I love this one, too. Cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. <laughs> he's gonna kill you. Literally, he's gonna eat your face. Yeah. He literally does. He did. <laughs> but... We're gonna do spooky stuff. Spooky. Spoofy. If you <laughs> spooky stuff. Spoofy. If you have any ideas for spooky stuff, me. then tell us. Uh, except for we have our Halloween episode planned, but you don't get yes. to know what it is. I'm into maimings. We're leaving you in the so. dark. <laughs> in the dark. Uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> we did That's this. what I'm pulling up. We did no! this. <laughs> oh, wow. We did this puppet show for Mountain Heritage, and I edit the sound, and it. we always put in the stupidest stuff that none of the kids ever understand. <laughs> and so, like, it's a jack tail, and Jack's talking to this caterpillar, and he's like, the butterfly, or the butterflies, the, the birds are going to eat me, and I cut to a, a thing of eagles going, <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> Childhood. That's the sound of my childhood. <laughs> Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. You know, they try, you know they've got a they got a new series out. Yes, but it, really? Or, yeah. No, is they're working on like a movie? Aren't they're they? working on a movie, yeah. but they tried doing a new series, but they it flopped big time yeah. because it was you know because it was really bad. Yeah, because like <laughs> it's our age and we grew up with the original cast, yeah. to, like the originals, and like, we want it to be yeah. really dark. <laughs> but in in the puppet show, there's the sound of eagles, and then it's Pippin, and he goes, "The eagles are coming," and none of the kids understood that. But then it keeps going, and eventually the Twilight Zone theme plays, and nobody understands that either. This one kid in the first grade stands up and goes, "That's the Twilight Zone." That's my kid. <laughs> <laughs> it was Eli. Of course it was Eli. <laughs> Shout out to you, Eli. He understood every reference that I put in. He under he knew what the X Files was. Lord Quahia. He he was he was all good. Eli's being raised well. <laughs> good job, Loranda and Tabby. Thumbs up to you. Um but yeah. What was I I was gonna say Oh, have you seen that they're doing a Netflix remake of Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yes. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Castlevania comes out at the end of the month. It does. Yeah. October it's 26th. terrifying. Along, I don't know if you've heard this, 
with a remake of Rondo the Blood and Symphony of the Night. So what the day that it comes out on Netflix is the day that Rondo Blood and Symphony of the Night. I don't know what it is. Oh my goodness! So please tell me it's going to be on Switch. I, I think so. I think it's supposed to be on all platforms except for Xbox. Mm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know on PS4 definitely on I'm, PS4. I'm I'm going to get it on Switch. Yeah, because Switch. then I could take it with me. It's built from the ground up. That's I that's what I need to put on my Switch with my emulators. Castlevania. Those two, especially. Yeah. Those are like the best ones. Yeah. Okay. What? Okay. Okay. Well, I hope you found this episode interesting as much as we did. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad, uh, glad everybody got to hear me nerd out about uh, well, Chronicles Jordan of Jordan learned things. Jordan yeah, did learn things. Knowledge. <laughs> knowledge. Knowledge. <laughs> oh, your microphone's drooping. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Uh, like us on Facebook, Twitter. Don't judge the movies. Instagram. Don't. Don't watch the movies. Go read the books. Uh, you can watch the movies. Yeah, you just, can watch the movies. Just watch, read the books. Our handers, handles watch for the all movies of... first and then read the books. <laughs> You'll appreciate them more. Yeah. Our handles for all of those things are at History by Idiots. Yes. Our website is www.historybyidiots.com. Very active on Instagram. I'll make sure we're very active on Instagram. Yeah. We have we're a Patreon active account. On the, active on the Facebook, too. Yeah. We, we need are. to be more active on the Twitter. On the tweet. I don't tweet. I don't tweet much. I need either. to be more active on Twitter. Like I said, the only reason why I have Twitter is because our president's on there. I just want to know if the world's ended or not. <laughs> you want to know when he pushes the button? I just want to know when he pushes the button because he's going to announce it. <laughs> he, he will. Four days in advance. We so. need to watch American Horror Story. We do. Um, and the Purge. Our, we have a Patreon. That would be patreon.com slash history by idiots. If you feel so inclined to donate to us and help us bring you more content, then may, may God have what mercy on your soul. <laughs> But um, we would appreciate it. Also, probably sometime in the next month or so, thinking about putting up a uh, like a pre-order page for shirts. I've been looking at merch. Oh, have you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we could get a I decent have. idea. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're everywhere. So. We're everywhere. And we're <laughs> about to break 5,000 listens. Yeah. 5,000 total. When so. we break 5,000 listens, we're going to give something away. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Snow dust, I guess. Yeah. I'll, uh, and I guess that, that I'll make it. <laughs> Did you know that time? I didn't know that. But. Handmade item for giveaway. Yeah, Handmade 5, item. Lessons. Made with love. <laughs> and a dash of hate. Just a dash. <laughs> Mostly love. Ninety five percent love, five percent hate. <laughs> the five percent that I feel is this kidney stone passing through me. Five percent right angry. Five percent angry. Okay, we're gonna go away now. I'm gonna go de- play Dead by Daylight. Oh, cool. I'm gonna do homework. I'm gonna go play my dog. I guess I don't know. <laughs> or a rat. Which one? I don't know. All of the things. All the things. All the things. Love history. <laughs> love your library and love yourself. <laughs> <laughs>